episode of the Show Before the Show podcast from MILB.com. Tyler Mon, Sam Dykstra. Uh, we got we got fun stuff coming up for you today. Fun and different stuff. That's the that's our motto lately. Yeah, no, and, and it's born out of necessity. Obviously, we wish we were talking about baseball right now, but we are going to be talking about a different kind of baseball this week. For any of you guys who listened last week, we are we are doing this week what we promised last week, uh, which is really exciting. And uh, yeah, it's something I don't think we've done a something like this in a while. Uh, I know we did one a couple of years ago in the AFL. Yeah. We did. Uh, but we haven't brought that back. So now, obviously, we have tons of time like the rest of you all do sitting at home. And uh, as I'm saying this, I'm slowly crawling away from my desk because I have a slanted floor and this rolling chair is not wanting me to be near my desk. Um, so if you hear rolling in the background, that's me just trying to catch up back up to the microphone. But uh, yeah, no, this is a really fun week. I, I really looking forward to w- what we can do with this and, and what we can uh, bring for you in weeks ahead, including next week. Well, all of these uh, these things we are cagely referring to, uh, we're going to dive into here in a moment. But uh, thanks for joining us on this week's episode of the show. You can find the show at MILB.com slash podcast and everywhere else you get your podcasting uh, content, hashtag content. And uh, leave us a rating and a review and a subscription and all that stuff if you are so inclined and um, so excited to give us five stars uh, wherever. And uh, the thing that we are discussing, if you tuned into the show last week, kind of gave you a little tease on it, and uh, we seem to have ironed out the technical side, and by we, I mean Sam, and uh, we're ready to go. So what we are doing for next week is, uh, I feel like we got to come up with some sort of, of name for it, but it is essentially a uh, Super Prospect Showcase Showdown. Oh, wow. We can't use Showcase Showdown. That's a Price is Right thing. But uh, what what we're doing is on MLB The Show uh, 20, the the newest edition, Sam and I, feel free to throw us any merchandise, uh, San Diego Studios. Uh, Sam and I yesterday drafted two teams of prospects that we will be pitting against each other in a simulated game on MLB The Show. That's an important thing to to clarify. We're not going to be playing this game. We're going to be simulating this game. Um we're doing it we're recording it uh this coming monday we will be doing it uh essentially like a broadcast you've seen teams across the minor leagues and even the major leagues i know the the san diego padres uh for my money the best broadcast team in baseball don orsolo and uh and mudcat grant they did one uh last week i want to say with the the padres um and we'll be doing something similar, but we will be doing it with two teams of minor league stars. And so today we are going to run you through our rosters, or at least our starting lineups, uh, pitcher and DH included. And uh, we're going to tell you all about these uh, these squads. And I'm pumped. I am pumped. Yeah, this is so much fun because this is we're going to be commenting, but we're also going to be kind of rooting for our teams at the same time. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to go full Hawk Harrelson by any means, but uh, I might have to at certain points if some of my players just go off in, in certain ways. And uh, the way we've formed these rosters are very interesting. We'll get into it when we're done. I don't want to tease anything out yet. There are two different philosophies, which I think a makes for great a great game, uh, but B just makes for it's, it's some interesting matchups and, and uh, things that we won't see on a field outside of maybe the futures game. Um, this is basically what we're building here is is the futures game. Anybody with prospect eligibility is eligible eligible to be picked uh, in this draft, eligible to be placed on our rosters. Um, 
yeah, it, it's it's going to be fascinating to see how the game sims because it's going to be out of our hands at that point too. Yeah, we we do want to say that we set the rosters. We're going to give you our starting lineups here, um, but once it's in the system, whoever our virtual managers are are going to take it and run with it. Um, but before we get going, we should lay out who our teams are because yeah, we, we should we. We picked two minor league teams. This is a minor league baseball pro. Uh, it, it would have been podcast. fun for us to do the Sams against the Tylers or something similar, but I don't think, and uh, we, we didn't really want to devote the time to figuring it out. Even if you create teams, uh, I don't know if you can use them just in like a one-off exhibition. I think you can only use them in like Diamond Dynasty and franchise mode. So we just right, decided yeah. to go with minor league franchises uh, and make it a little easier that way. Yeah, so Tyler, do you want to tell the people who, yeah, who you sure. picked for your... Um, so I, uh, as as many people know, uh, live in Denver, born and raised Rockies fan. I did not uh, draft a single Rockies... Pro- I don't think either of us has a Rockies prospect on our roster. So I was like, you know, I should probably do something to uh, honor some of my baseball fandom. I uh, grew up, you know, falling in love with baseball, minor league games uh, in Denver, and then the Rockies came around. And so I decided I'll pick a, a Rockies affiliate. So... Got to go with the Yard Goats. Thought about going with the Isotopes, um, but I didn't want to steal any thunder from Better Call Saul's season finale, which was a couple nights ago, because those two things are totally related and they cross over. People would be like, oh, man, I was excited about the season finale. And then this minor league baseball writer chose the Isotopes for a simulated video game. Um, no, I'm going to go with the Goats, and uh, that's my that's my squad. So, uh congratulations to hartford <laughs> i i mean it's just more fun when the yard goats are involved yeah they have a fun twitter account they, they have a fun sing name. that song at some point during the broadcast <laughs> eat it up that that just makes me sad for what my team was going to be i was going to be the amarillo sod poodles right. um just because i i love their aesthetic i love their jerseys um i like the idea of it being a texas league team versus an eastern league team making that work uh, but when I tried to play the game myself just to see how the rosters were working out, making sure the game actually worked, I uh, realized that if Tyler had an NL affiliate and I had an NL affiliate with the Padres, uh, we were going to have to have our pitchers hit, which is not something we want in this yeah. game. We, we want it to be as fun as possible, which hot take, the DH is more fun, the AL is more fun. Uh, so I'm going to take the Rocket City Trash Pandas, AA affiliate of the Los Angeles Angels, um, not only just to give us that DH dynamic, but we haven't seen the Rocket City Trash Pandas actually play a game. Uh, we should be seeing them debut by them now. for several years. Yeah, like. at this point, it's been a year and a half since we knew yeah. their identity. They've been selling merchandise forever, it seems like. Uh, so let's give them their chance. This will be their chance to have a debut uh, and to see some of these prospects adorn Trash Pandas uniforms is hilarious to me. Maybe not to them, but hilarious to me. Hopefully hilarious to you guys watching at home. And the idea of the Trash Pandas versus the Yard Goats. If you told us that in 2013, uh, we'd be laughing hysterically so let's make it happen in the virtual space yeah um so uh so let's dive in so we did a a snake draft um which with two people is you know not really the the same level i actually did a fantasy draft for a franchise on the show um a few weeks ago and it goes like 40 some rounds and there's all 30 teams so i picked second and then 29th and that takes a while to get through Two of us, eh, it's a little easier. Um, but uh, we decided to go that way, and Sam got pick number one thanks to uh, the the Google coin flip thing, which failed me because I picked Tails and it was not Tails. 
Yeah, which also was completely virtual. And I had to send you evidence that it came up heads. Right. Uh, I did not, not that you demanded it. I just <laughs> wanted to send it to you to, you know, in the ideas of sportsmanship and uh, making sure everything's on the level here in this game that has so much bragging rights that I want to make sure we're, we're doing things right. So pick number one with the first pick in the 2020 The Show Prospect Showdown Spectacular, uh, Samuel C. Dykstra selects. Uh, the Rocket City Trash Pandas with the oh, first right, right, right. Well, no, I mean, uh, we'll I'm announcing the pick on behalf of the Rocket City Trash Pandas. <laughs> Select Gavin Lux, shortstop slash second baseman. I was a little surprised. I was a little surprised you went Gavin Lux, pick number one. Um, not because he is not deserving, but um, I figured you would have gone with one of the two guys that I picked first. My first yeah. two. Well, that's the, this is going to become evident as we go along here. But right, like much the last pick you, in the draft could have been the first pick. In the, like that's how good all of these dudes are. For sure, for sure. There's there really aren't any wrong picks here. Like we said, it's like making a futures game roster. You're going to hear tons of talent here. There's not going to be anything too surprising. That said, um, you know we are playing this in a video game. I'm trying to win said video game. So I've created this whole spreadsheet of like guys and their. Uh, actual ratings within the game. MLB The Show, for as much fun as it is to play, sometimes their rankings of minor leaguers yeah, a little get a little off. Yeah, uh, Gavin Lux in this game is ranked as an 81. Um, I saw no other prospect ranked higher than 79. A lot of that has to do with his great 2019 season, the fact that he made the major leagues, the fact that he was expected to be the Dodgers' starting second baseman on opening day. Um, obviously, he's probably the most major league ready prospect we have uh and plugging him into a prospect roster there's going to be a big drop off between him and other second basemen i could find or other shortstops i could find uh so yeah that that's why he factored into my top pick he's arguably the number two prospect in baseball right now anyways there, there's really not you know it's between him and a maybe wander franco is undoubtedly number one but he's pretty close to unanimously, unanimously number two. Um, so not only do I get a good future talent, but I get a good current talent. Um, putting him in there and watching him hit is going to be a lot of fun. He's probably going to be my number two or three hitter uh, if I can finagle the, the lineups. We'll see how that works. But, yeah, I felt like getting somebody who's major league ready, getting somebody yeah. who's actually good prospect, Gavin Lux, number one, that's where, where I went. Yeah, and that, that was the, the smart way to go. I did not – go that way picking on the ratings i i picked on uh you know real life what do we want to build for this franchise what do we want this franchise to be someday and so i started in a very cliche uh i i only know the the basics about what it would take to build a franchise kind of way started right up the middle so wander franco was my first selection and then since we went snake i got back-to-back picks i went with adley rutschman as my second pick the top catching prospect in baseball yeah, the, I mean, the, the credit I will give you throughout your team is you made the fun picks. You made the guys we want to see in this game play uh, and put them all on, on one roster. And the idea of playing this game without Warner Franco is nuts. We couldn't do it. Yeah, we couldn't do it. So you, you taking him with the first pick, make sure I didn't take him at some point and have Gavin Lux and Warner Franco as my double play pairing, which would have been amazing, but... Unfortunately, you didn't let me do that. And then Adley Rutschman, catcher. I mean, I, I wrote about this 
last week when we were talking about age 22 lineups on the Toolshed Dream lineups. The drop off between him and the next catcher, who might be Joey Bart in terms of catching prospects, is fairly big. He's a generational talent, and getting him behind the plate is is basically a no brainer. The funny thing is, though, because we are drafting only starting lineups, once you draft your catcher, I don't have to draft a catcher until a long time. Yeah, that's true. That is true. And you did not until uh, until later. Yeah. Um, Spoiler. But uh, next up, uh, a pick that had we stuck with two National League affiliates, um, this would have been the most brilliant pick of the day. It, it would and have it been. it still I, could be. I wish I had thought of that when I made the pick. I'm going to be <laughs> honest. Uh, I did not. And when I was you know, just playing the game yesterday by myself, I was like, oh, wait a minute. This guy's going to have to hit, huh, if we keep with this. And that is Brendan McKay. I went with Brendan McKay as my starting pitcher. Um, the left-hander with the Tampa Bay Rays made the major leagues last year, kind of in a similar boat to Gavin Lux. Didn't have uh, great major league success necessarily, but absolutely burned through double-A and triple-A. A lot of pitches he can work with. That major league experience is only going to help us here. I want somebody who – you. Know, Let's be frank. This is not a futures game in terms of guys are only going to go one or two innings. The game is going to sim it like it's a normal baseball game. He's probably going to go five or six. Um, somebody with major league experience facing major league hitters. Some of these guys on your team, Juan Franco hasn't made double A yet. Um, so, you know, Brendan McKay we trust used him. to. We trust him in this big moment. Okay. I'm not I'm not doubting All your right, pick. Sam, I'm just saying. We're getting already a guy throwing who knows, shade at my team. Is of that, course is that it? Yes. yes, of course I am. <laughs> Uh, but Brendan McKay knows what it takes to face major league hitters, at least. Uh, that's who I want to rely on for five or six innings. So he's my left-handed pitcher. He won't hit. We made the, the change. Maybe the, the manager will make some weird thing happen. I don't know, but uh, he won't hit. Uh, and then for my third pick, I went with Carter Keyboom. Again, somebody made the majors last year, did not have any level of success by his own admission, by the Nats' own admission. But he entered this spring. They were really trying to get him to win that third base job. I think when you play the show, he is the Nats' default starting third baseman. Um, he has shortstop in his game. He has second base in his game. Uh, I drafted him kind of expecting him to be my third baseman. We'll see if they stick with that. When I played it yesterday, they had Lux at second, Keyboom at short. I'm okay with either version of that, um, but Keyboom can really hit. He was a PCL end-of-season all-star last year. Uh, young talent, but the everything in the game right there, he was the fourth highest ranked prospect I found, a, according to ratings, in the game. Um, plugging him in in the middle of that lineup, I'm not going to have to worry about it. So figuring out... Two of my four infielders really have to have that, and my starting pitcher here were the third, top three picks. Um, I continued my uh, process building up the middle, Sam. That's what I did. It's a it's the smart. It's way. a smart way to do a team, and we love it, don't we, folks? We're seeing it more and more. Um, I went with Luis Robert, also a major league ready guy who we anticipated being in the the starting lineup for the Chicago White Sox uh, on opening day. Of course, signed the major league deal uh, over the off season, so I went with Luis Robert uh, in the outfield. And then, to counter your starting lefty, uh, I picked one of my own in Mackenzie Gore. Again, somewhat similarly to Wander Franco, a guy that has not uh, climbed cr- incredibly high yet in his uh, in his big or in his uh, minor league career. But um, you know, we we trust him. We trust him at this organization. I know that he's only twenty one. I know that last year, uh, you know, he made the five game stint. In Amarillo, weirdly enough, he'll be uh, pitching against, well, would have been pitching against his former team had you stuck with Amarillo. Um, I trust him. I believe in him, Sam. 
I mean, he was our minor league starting pitcher of the year last year. He was. He, again, he, it's the same thing as Wander Franco. signed to this big virtual deal. I'm paying him a lot of, <laughs> uh, of PlayStation money. The I wish I could. coins from, uh, from Sonic the Hedgehog. I stole them all. Paying these guys and all that. Yeah, I wish I could go into the roster and see exactly uh, what their their contracts would be. What you know, when you add payrolls would be for these teams, right? How that would kind of work out. But <laughs> the the whole reason we're doing this is to have fun. And Mackenzie Gore facing another prospect laden lineup is just fun. He's undeniably the top pitching prospect in baseball. Um, so many pitches he can deal with. He can fill up the zone. Uh, at, at, making him the starting pitcher is, is a smart pick. Um, whether it's the right pick. We'll let the game decide on that one. Um, so for my next two ones, this one was actually the most fun pick I had to make because the show, the video game, for some reason, thinks Jason Dominguez, the Yankees prospect, who has not played a professional baseball game at all yet. Yeah. Uh, but they think- but has a, uh, a line in his description. I want to make sure that it's still there and find it. Sorry to, to jump in on you, but it's just such Go a – uh, a perfect line. Uh, it is this quote from MLB Pipeline. He won't make his pro debut until mid-2020, but he already has earned comparisons to some of the best athletes in baseball history, such as Bo Jackson, Mickey Mantle, and Mike Trout. He is 17 years old, Jason Dominguez. He was born on February 7th, 2003, signed last July by the Yankees, and scouts are already like, oh, he might be Mike Trout. What? Yeah, I mean, some of those are hyperbole, Amazing. but he is a he's a five tool talent, no yeah. doubt. And the fact that the game, the video game likes him enough to give him a 72 rating as a 17 year old is crazy. He's a switch hitter. Uh, when I played the game yesterday, he was my center fielder moving some of the other talented outfielders I have here to the corners. Um he has a, the potential in the world to be an all-world player. Um, the fact that they think he's this good right now is really cool. So w- when I talk about my first couple of picks and I say these guys are major league ready, he isn't. But the game loves him enough, and I really like him enough to have fun with it, put him into that lineup. That'll be really cool. Um, so Jason Dominguez here is is my fourth pick. And then I went with Alec Bohm, um, third baseman slash first baseman here. I, I talked about before Carter Keboom could be my third baseman. I kind of think about moving Alec Bohm to first base. Uh, we'll see how things work out. I make a pick later that I think ensures that will happen. But uh, Alec Bohm, a really good hitter, really big hitter from the right side. Uh, the Phillies actually like what he's done defensively, and they think he can stick at third base long term. Uh, in a one-game must-win scenario, I'm going to stick him at first and not worry about it. The power's a little bit behind the hit tool right now, but uh, everybody believes he's going to grow into that and focus a little bit more on power. Uh, we'll see how things go. But um, adding his bats to the lineup, adding a little bit more versatility that I already have in Lux and Keyboom, and now Boom in in that infield is, is really special. Um, so, yeah, versatility is something, obviously, I'm harping on here and major league readiness. Uh, I think he was probably going to help the Phillies within the first two months of the season. Put him in here and uh, I don't have to worry about either the third base or the first base spot um I went young again for uh not this next pick but the one at well I guess they're both young uh but one of them has climbed near the uh the big league level and uh maybe it was a, a little bit of a reach on just how high I took him uh but I really have always 
liked him as a prospect ever since he was taken in the first round uh, out of Oregon State back in 2018. Uh, I took Nick Madrigal, who played 29 games with AAA Charlotte last year, uh, to be my second baseman. And then uh, after him, a guy that I've loved since he was uh, an amateur player in Wisconsin, uh, in Jared Kelenic, the outfielder from the Seattle Mariners organization. So I got a couple outfielders, um, one basically big league ready in uh, in Luis Robert, his organizational teammate at second base in Nick Madrigal, and then uh, his outfield mate in Jared Kelenic that I took with my fifth and sixth picks. Yeah, and uh, this kind of continues to talk about you going up the middle, which I did not realize in the moment. You you take Nick Madrigal at second base. Second base is not exactly a deep position here, especially right. with Lux off the board now. Right. Uh, and Kelnick, I, I don't know how the game's going to choose this, but Robert could be your center fielder. Kelnick yeah. could be your center fielder. Um, the great thing about making this prospects is that you could have so many athletes on the grass that you could have three center fielders essentially uh, and cover a lot of ground. So that that's really special. Your strategy here, which is only now revealing itself. Uh, we all have to have organization cohesiveness, Sam. Uh I can't be I can't be the Seattle Seahawks GM who's having walls knocked down in his house in order to install like Zoom for a, a teleconference for the NFL draft. My organization we got to be on one page, streamlined, intelligent. This is our plan. This is who we are. <laughs> the Fighting Tylers. Well, it's now it just makes me coach. feel like mine is just like all over the place. Yeah, like I was just like I, this, guy, this guy and this guy and this guy. And then, hey. and then when you crush me, then we'll uh, then we'll look back on that. When it's just you talking in uh, innings seven, eight, and nine, because I'm just sitting back smiling the whole time, <laughs> watching you dig your own grave. That's fine. That's fine. Oh, I won't talk. I'll be too angry. It'll just be silence. <laughs> <laughs> the game will just be silence. You just hear a thud. We'll, just flip, and you're like, we'll flip Matt Vaskersian back on. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> We're both there done. Uh, no, I, I will happily talk through my winnings. Uh, I, I'll, I'll fill the time gladly. Don't you worry. Um, so, yeah, so after Alec Bohm, I went with Joe Adele. Uh, I, I, obviously the best outfield prospect still on the board here. Kind of surprised he lasted this long that I didn't take him a little bit higher. Uh, he's expected to be the right fielder of the future for the Angels only because Mike Trout's playing center field. Uh, another basically major league ready prospect move him into right, right next to Jason Dominguez. That's going to work really well. And then this was kind of surprising to me, but I, I guess it makes sense. Uh, if we are going to do DHs in this league, I went with Nick Solak of the Texas Rangers, somebody who still has prospect eligibility remaining. N- never really been a top 100 prospect, but a lot of guys, a lot of people really like his bat. He showed that last year when it, during a call-up with the Rangers. The biggest question with him is where do you put him defensively? He's played second base. He's played the outfield. Never really getting anything close to above average grades, no matter where he plays uh, with the glove. I put him in at DH. I don't have to worry about it. He's not necessarily your stereotypical DH. He's not a huge bopper, but he's a good hitter. He showed a little bit of pop last year with the Rangers. Um, The game seems to like him. He's ranked 73, which is right there with Brendan McKay. uh, One spot below Carter Keewum at 74. Uh, I I want guys who are ready to produce right now. Nick Solak is that. And if I can make him my DH, then I don't have to worry about that glove whatsoever. Um, So Joe Adele, somebody who can bring value on that defensive end, the base pass, the hit tool, the power tool, all of that. Nick Solak, a potential offensive monster in the middle of my lineup. Uh, I'm happy with those two. Um, I uh, moved over to the corner infield spots for my seventh and eighth picks. 
uh, and grab two defensive wizards. We're going to play a lot of good defense on this team as well, Sam. Uh, from the Pittsburgh Pirates organization, son of one of the very first dudes that I watched uh, play the position that I later played at a very high level at 3A high school baseball in the state of Colorado. Uh, Cabrian Hayes, son of Charlie Hayes. Um, he's my third baseman. And I debated a lot on first base on the other side because the top-ranked first-base prospect in the game right now is a guy I really like uh, who I would later take in the draft. Um, but I'll I'll save that. That's a tease, see? Uh, but I went with Evan White from the, the Mariners organization. Like, my whole team is like Mariners and White Sox. Um, but Evan White, to me, I just – his defensive tool is so rare and so elite. He's got a 70-grade field tool as a first baseman, which, you know, we're drafting for a one-game simulated video game showdown. But uh, I really like that about Evan White. He's also uh, a guy who offensively has continued to progress and really come along uh, in his first few professional seasons. So I went with Cabrian Hayes at third base and Evan White over at first to round out my infield. I mean, it is one of those interesting things about uh, when we talk about what what are you trying to achieve in a one game when you know a one game must win situation. You going with defense could very well work. I mean, there could be a a line drive that somebody Alec Bohm, let's say laces down the left field line and Cabrian Hayes eats it up because he is that good defensively. Because he is Cabrian Hayes. Right. Both of these guys have gold glove potential. I'm not just throwing that out there. They really do. I mean, Cabrian Hayes has won, I think at least two minor league gold gloves already. Yeah. Um, Evan White has been talked about the second he got drafted as a potential gold glove winner over at first base. And it's gotten to the point where I think, Maybe he should do what the Dodgers did with Cody Bellinger and try him in other spots. If he's athletic as he is, why stick him at the cold corner? But the Mariners just signed him to a major league contract. He's going to be their opening day first baseman whenever opening day comes. They obviously like him enough there to just keep him there forever. That's great. Um, So, you know, if you're going to draft for defense, these are the guys you take. Uh, we'll see if it makes a difference. Uh, I'm sure you'll remind me of it the second that (laughs) Cabrian Hayes does a 5-4-3 double play that Evan White has to dig out of the the dirt but um yeah again your strategy is becoming more apparent as time goes on meanwhile I'm just like this guy seems good <laughs> that's why I took him um so speaking of which uh my next pick was Dylan Carlson I need an open left field spot Dylan Carlson has played all three outfield spots for the St. Louis Cardinals obviously had a breakout let year last year he was our Milby winner for breakout prospect of the year um first time he had ever hit I think 20 plus home runs he stole 20 plus bases uh, uh seems major league ready in all facets probably should have been called up to St. Louis when rosters expanded in September that didn't happen um, but he was very much in the conversation to win an outfield spot this spring the game likes him enough uh to make him worthy of a starting spot I certainly like him enough he's a switch hitter that's going to help me I now have Dominguez and Dylan Carlson as switch hitters in my lineup I think that's only going to help with matchups uh throughout the game uh, so Dylan Carlson will be my left fielder. And then I went with Greg Jones as my shortstop. Now, there are a couple of things to like about Greg Jones overall. First off, he's not a top 100 overall prospect, but the guy has speed for days. Uh, the Tampa Bay Rays organization is a, an especially speedy one. Xavier Edwards stands out from that. They just got him from the San Diego Padres. Vidal Brujan is a 70-grade speedster as a second baseman. Greg Jones right up there with them in terms of speed. He adds speed to this lineup that we don't really have outside of maybe Dylan Carlson and Joe Adele so far. Uh, Really like him for that. But the game, in the same way that they, 
I think, overranked Jason Dominguez. They overranked Greg Jones. He's also a 72 right now. We haven't seen much out of him. He only played at Hudson Valley last year in the Rays organization, a Class A short season affiliate. Um, but the game likes him enough to, to make him a 72. I think if we put him at short, we put Gavin Lux at second, we put Carter Keeboom at third. Now all of a sudden we have three shortstops on our infield. The reason they're good shortstops is they have good enough range, they have good enough hands, they have a good enough arm. Um, so the fact that we have some versatility with Lux and Keeboom that allows us to take Jones, who is a good player, and then as I was mentioning before with Alec Bohm, a little bit of first base in his profile will stick him over there. We don't have to worry about the defense, even if the Phillies like him enough to be a long-term third baseman. Uh, th- this is not a lineup necessarily that any organization would want to put together, but I think the more bats I can get in here, the more shortstops I can get on the infield, the better it is going to be for me. So taking Greg Jones here, a little unorthodox, not that's necessarily something I planned coming into this, but the way the draft unfolded allowed me to stick him here and I'll take – full advantage of his speed and how the game seems to like him better than other prospect rankings. Uh, and then my last two picks for our, uh, our starting 10 are nine in the lineup in our uh, starting pitchers. We also of course did fill out the, uh, the other 16 spots um, and we'll put out the rosters and everything, but uh, we're only going to go through 10 uh, so far or for the, the podcast purposes. Um, I went uh, sort of high risk, high reward, but uh, another young guy who's got a ton of talent. He's only 21. He played all of last season at 20, but he reached AAA uh, for 26 games. That's Christian Pache in the uh, Atlanta organization. So he's my last outfielder, uh, at least among my starters. And then uh, my 10th pick, my final pick, my DH pick, was the guy that I passed over for first base who was still – we were just thrilled to get him. We were thrilled to get him at this spot. <laughs> um, you know, didn't know – we had him on our big board. Uh, didn't know if he'd still be there. But uh, Andrew Vaughn of the Chicago White Sox organization who is listed as the uh, top – first base prospect in baseball and of course has not uh climbed a a great deal so far since being selected in the first round last year uh but made it to class a advance winston-salem and um a a guy who very quickly i think could make that climb uh to the big leagues he was drafted out of cal won the golden spikes award in college baseball as a sophomore in 2018 and i think he was a semifinalist as a junior uh and then was the third overall pick in uh in 2019's draft so andrew vaughn you know we got so much depth there at the at the first base spot really to kind of spoil this uh we have three potential first basemen because i also uh ended up taking dalton varsho who's a catcher plays the outfield but he could slide over there we got so much depth and athleticism on this team sam it's we're dripping with it you're dripping with it sure if that's what you want to go i mean obviously i would hope so like they, they were this is a two-team draft if you if you were sitting here and be like well i think you know, you know second really, base is a we really real had to reach for me we really had to reach by that 10th round yeah <laughs> Uh, I'm glad you are happy with your team, Tyler. This is going to make it so much more fun when we record this. Um, But this one came down to its scouting for me. Uh, And, you know, I've I've been playing the show ever since I got it in quarantine like everybody else. And every time I start a franchise mode, I go over to top prospects. It's my job. I want to see how this is going to work. And pretty consistently, whenever I start a franchise, the top prospect in the game, according to MLB The Show, is Corey Lee. 
of the Houston Astros organization, the catcher. He will now be my starting catcher. This is what we alluded to before when Tyler took Adley Rutschman. He's a 75 in the game right now. This is the guy who's the 32nd overall pick in last year's draft. Uh, funny enough, he also went to Cal. He usually hit behind Andrew Vaughn, so yeah. it's kind of fitting that he plays behind him here. Um Usually when you look at his scouting report, he, he's got above average power. The hit tool has some questions. He's got a wicked arm behind the plate. Uh, you know, there's there's enough to like in his profile right now, but he's the number eight Astros prospect entering 2020. According to the game, he's the number one prospect in all of baseball. So <laughs> I will take take him here and just see how that works. Take advantage of how the game seems to like him, even if that's not necessarily how I would do it. You know, I would probably would have picked Joey Bart as my catching prospect uh, if we were doing this in real life. But because we're doing this in a simulation and it's, you know, a, a series of codes that are is determining who's going to win this. Uh, I will take advantage of Corey Lee, see how that works. Uh, but, you know, adding, adding above average power is only going to help me. Um, hopefully he can throw out a couple guys on the base pass. Well, I would love to see, you know, let's say Luis Robert try to steal off him and uh, see how that matchup goes down. But yeah, Corey Lee sneaking in here as, as my starting catcher would have surprised me going into this, but after scouting, like him enough to make it work and, and we'll see how that happens we got some other fun guys uh on each roster the the pitching staffs are obviously loaded because we pretty much just took nothing but starters um i mean guys although right now our starters i will say i took emmanuel classe uh, yeah. the cleveland indians organization there i uh i had some debate as to whether or not i i should go out and take an actual reliever somewhere um but uh i don't know i i decided to to stick with the the more ranked guys the more regular i was going to if i was going to grab somebody um it was going to be sam delaplane uh from the seattle mariners organization because last year he struck out 120 and 68 and two-thirds but i feel like he's also probably one of those guys who gets a little bit lost in the i don't even know if he's in the game i would imagine he's probably lost in the in the rating shuffle it's weird the people who are in the game and who aren't and who aren't you, AJ you pointed Puck out a few, not right? In, AJ yeah. Puck is not in the game. AJ Puck is strange. not in the game, even though he pitched in the majors last year. Gavin Lux apparently wasn't in the game when they originally released it, and then he was added in. So I'm imagining, imagining AJ Puck will be around shortly. James Karinchak is another Cleveland Indians reliever who I really, really wanted to take because his stuff is incredible as a reliever. Um, he's not in there, so I, I didn't make that happen. But uh, yeah, it was really funny sorting through these rosters now and them deciding who's in the rotation and who becomes all of a sudden your long reliever. Um, Hazel Suzardo was one of my picks. He should probably be in any rotation, but the fact that he's now my left-handed reliever is going to be awesome. I think for me uh, as my first left-handed option out of the bullpen backing up Brendan McKay. But you know, like we said, it, it's uh there was really no going wrong here. It's just going to be loaded with starting pitchers who have deep arsenals, can yeah. go multiple innings if we need them to. And uh, it'll be fascinating to see how these managers handle these rosters now that we put them together. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. Mackenzie Gore struggles. I got Casey Mize right behind him. So checkmate, Sam. <laughs> and this will technically be his uh, Hartford debut, and we know what he right. does in double-A debuts. Right, Exactly. It's going to so, be fantastic. Yeah. Uh, in the Eastern League also. Um, so uh, that's it. Those are our uh, our starting tens, and uh, we'll have the, the rosters and all that stuff. And, uh, again, we're going to simulate the game, do the, the broadcast for it on Monday and Tuesday at 7 o'clock Eastern time. We will send it live, and uh, we're going to have some fun with it. Yeah, so that – 
video will be live on minor league baseball's YouTube page, but we're also going to link to it. We're going to embed the video itself on the podcast page, MILB.com slash podcast. Go there to watch. The video will be going live itself. You'll be able to watch like a regular baseball game starting at 7. Uh, I'll probably go about an hour, something like that. And then once it's over, that will be still on the, the middle of YouTube page. So feel free to go back, watch your favorite moments. Maybe it'll be – you. You know, the replay where you can find exactly where Tyler's heart is broken. We'll see. <laughs> like uh, just, yeah, just rewinding it, putting it in slow motion, just focusing <laughs> right in on when you can tell Tyler knew uh, that his team was a losing one. Oh, man, it's going to be great. Uh, and that's coming up for you next week. And uh, with that, we'll, uh, we'll wrap up this opening segment on this week's episode of the show. Benjamin Hill joins us next. As an official partner of Minor League Baseball, Nationwide's here to make sure you're protected for every pitch life throws at you. Visit Nationwide.com today to see how we can help meet your needs. Nationwide is on your side. Lots to talk about uh, with Benjamin Hill this week. The business of Minor League Baseball continues to roll along. Hi, Ben. Hi, Tyler, and hello, Sam. It's uh, great to talk to you again. I'm I feel I can't believe it's been a week since uh, we last spoke. It it feels um, like it was just yesterday. Time simultaneously flies by, and also uh, every night when I'm like getting ready to go to bed, I'll think about something that happened earlier that day, and it feels like it happened six weeks ago. It's very nice. <laughs> yeah, it's very strange. I, I've heard that time is an illusion or a you know a man-made construct, and that essentially all there ever is or will be is the eternal present. So I think that's something to consider right now and uh, maybe just forget our ideas of time uh, entirely. And uh, Benjamin Hill is on Twitter at Ben's Biz, and we'll talk to you now. <laughs> 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 It's going to turn into Slaughterhouse 5 very quickly and us talking about, like, this is, out, this is happening and this is also happening at you the same what? time. You know what? I think people would probably enjoy it. I would. I very much would. The more existential conversations that we have uh, in, this, in this weird time of ours, probably the better. Um, and that kind of leads us into uh, to one uh, of our stories that we're going to talk about with Ben this week. Um the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers, the Class A affiliate of the Milwaukee Brewers and a team that I uh, once saw uh, uh, the hat of on the, the show An Idiot Abroad, on uh, which I think is still on Netflix somewhere, but uh, a guy who was uh, leading a tour group in uh, a West African nation somewhere just had a timber rattlers hat on and it was a very strange moment but that's what i always think of when i think of wisconsin anyway uh the timber rattlers are uh offering <laughs> a uh a a chance for fans much like a their uh their state colleagues the green bay packers to uh their community-owned team are the timber rattlers and you can now buy in with a uh a membership certificate kind of an owner's club certificate thing uh and proceeds raised by that according to the team quote will help ensure the baseball team is around for years to come and to assist the club while waiting and hoping to play baseball during the 2020 season this is a, a really unique and really cool idea from wisconsin yeah i mean an issue that we've talked about in recent weeks and certainly something i've been asked um you know, on Twitter and email is, you know, with teams not playing, people are saying, you know, well, how can we support uh, these teams right now? And, you know, because we're worried for their survival. These are uh, difficult times. So when I saw what Wisconsin 
who are based in Appleton, Wisconsin. Uh, when I saw what they were doing, I thought, you know, this would be a good thing to write about, to highlight a tangible way in which fans can support a team. Um, so the Timber Rattlers, they are a community-owned team, and uh, they're governed by a 12-member board of directors, uh, like the Appleton Baseball Club Incorporated. And uh, so they're not selling stock right now, but they are selling these membership certificates. And they come with a wide array of perks, you know, some free opening day tickets for whenever that may be and that sort of thing. Uh, But beyond that, you get to vote for the board of directors that oversee the club. You get to sit in on meetings, you know, involving how the team has run, the financials, the hiring processes, all this. Um, You you really get an inside look at how a minor league team uh, operates. You know, traditionally, these membership certificates – um, you know, these owner club, people who are part of this owner's club, you know, have usually been local fans, uh, you know, but the team is trying to promote it right now, essentially in the absence of anything else to promote and uh, just trying to put it out there to baseball fans in general. If you're looking to support a team and, uh, you know, find out more about how that team operates and especially a team, um, you know, that is community owned, that does not have a millionaire or billionaire, uh, you know, owner attached to it that could maybe help out, you know, when times get tough, uh, you know, they're, they're getting creative and they're trying to push this out there and uh you know selling these certificates and uh, i think that people are, are going to be into this or are already are into this uh i think people like the idea of uh, being involved with the operation of a team and, and getting a little bit of an inside peek yeah so what exactly comes with that ownership because it's, it's not like uh you know you get a say in how much soda is going to cost or something like that but there is something of a say that comes with these certificates right yeah, I mean, I think the main thing is is sitting sitting in on the meetings, um, you know, and, and uh, you know, looking at who's running for the board of directors and being able to vote there. Um, you know, I think you do have a little more of a direct conduit to the team uh, in terms of uh, you know knowing who to communicate with, asking questions. You know, I talked to Rob Zerjav, um, the team president, and he said, you know, um, you know, please. Uh, you know, if you're a member, if you if you're a part of our owners club, you know, get in touch, ask specific questions. Uh, you know, we're happy to answer when we can. Uh, so I think it's just having a more direct line to the team. And and these meetings, uh, you know, are like so many meetings right now could be run virtually. So you could be part of this without necessarily being in the Appleton region. Ben, there was a, a really cool story that came out of the Pacific Coast League this week. Uh, the Omaha Storm Chasers, in absence of baseball and opening day and all that, they still uh, did something to lift the spirits of the Omaha community, and it was really neat seeing the reaction to this on social media. But they had a, a fireworks night uh, at Werner Park, and people were uh, invited to, to come out and sit in their cars. They basically sold out the parking lot for that. Uh, that was a really, really cool gesture from Omaha, and it wouldn't surprise me if other teams follow suit and doing stuff like this. Yeah, you know, uh, just like the uh, Wisconsin Timber Rattlers story we just talked about, you know, that's basically what I'm trying to do right now is find creative, just like I always do, find creative things that teams are doing, uh, and even in the absence of baseball. And I think the Storm Chasers fireworks show was an example of that. Obviously, you know, Omaha, they play in the neighboring town, actually, of, uh, I'm probably going to mispronounce it, but Papillion. Papillion uh, is know, correct. It's a comparatively rural, it's not. Papillion, yes, thank you. Um, it is, you know, not a rural area, but it's comparatively rural by AAA standards. Um, obviously, a fireworks show is not going to work in crowded downtown areas. Uh, you know, you need the parking lot space. You need people to be able to congregate safely <laughs> during these times. But in Omaha, with some wide open spaces, 
the Storm Chasers were able to make it work. They got about 5,000 cars into the parking lot. Uh, there were rules, uh, you know, established with the uh, local Department of Health. Uh, no transactions, so among other things, that meant it was free. Uh, but there's no restroom, no concessions, anything like that. But they got like 5,000 cars in the parking lot, and then um, you know other neighboring businesses, schools, other parking lots were filled. You know, people who lived close enough could just watch it in their yards. So there were thousands and thousands and thousands of people uh, watching this. Um, the first you know, COVID-19 era uh, minor league baseball fireworks show. Uh, the team works with J&M Displays, a fireworks provider based in uh, Iowa. And usually for a minor league ballpark show, they'd use two to three inch shells uh, for their fireworks. But here, because they needed like a, a better visibility and a greater radius for the amount of people watching and watching under these anomalous car-based circumstances, um, they used um, shells that were three times as big, you know, just to light up the night sky that much more and to bring the show to that many more people. Uh, another one of their partners, uh, a local radio station, 104.5, uh, actually carried the uh, the fireworks show soundtrack on the radio. So people in the car could tune in on the radio That's really and cool. listen to the music that would normally be played over the ballpark PA. So uh, it was a huge success. Uh, not everywhere could turn it, you know, could pull it off just given you know, exactly how your community is affected by this right now. And of course, the logistics of how big, you know, your parking lot is. And, and uh, of course, uh, before doing this, you know, I talked to Marty Cordero, the team president and general manager. And he's like, well, first step was talking to the police and essentially getting there. Okay. You know, because we didn't want to do anything that, you know, could take, you know, take away their attention and resources at a time when that can't happen. And then we had to talk to the department of health and get their guidelines. So, you know, first things first, you know, this is the sort of thing that has to be okayed uh, by the, you know, your local officials. Um, but a really cool thing to see. To uh, see, it was a huge success in Omaha. They've got a second show for May 9th already scheduled, and I think they'll be releasing the details on that soon. And Tyler, like you said, uh, I would expect to see more teams, uh, ones who are able to do this as well. Uh, I highly doubt this is the last we'll see of a uh, drive-in fireworks show. Yeah, and what exactly are the logistics of this in terms of making sure that people kind of stick to their cars? Uh, you know, it's it's one thing to put this on, and it's great that people can watch from the safety of their own lawns and, and backyards if they're close enough, but fireworks always attract crowds, and crowds are not exactly what we're aiming for. It's great if everybody's in their car. How do they make sure that everybody's staying safe? Yeah, I mean, you have to, to lay out the rules, um, you know, beforehand. And, um, you know, there was local law enforcement on hand and, and team staff. I think to a certain extent, kind of like, you know, here in New York City, everyone should wear a mask. Almost everyone's wearing a mask, but you can't necessarily enforce anything right now, like 100% along those lines. Um, so I think a lot of it is, you know, we're all bond by, you know, these, this uh, social contract right now of trying to, uh, you know, do what is right. And uh, I mean, I think that's a lot of it is just kind of knowing the rules going in and, and saying like, okay, we will abide by these rules because it is best. I understand though, that is why some communities might not be uh, in addition to potentially diverting resources from, you know, local police or anything like that. They just might be nervous that they can't expect that many people to, you know, necessarily follow the rules and not get out of their cars and, and anything like that. So uh, I do think there's a, like a level of trust, um, but so far so good in Omaha. And, uh, you know, hopefully this can continue as long as it's safe to do so. 
Benjamin Hill is on Twitter at the at uh, Ben's Biz and uh, Instagram at the Ben's Biz, and you can find uh, all of his stuff up on the site at mylb.com. And uh, Ben, stay safe and stay healthy, and uh, we'll do it again next week when the appropriate amount of uh, human constructs of time have passed. Yeah, I mean, I'll just be here in the presence, so just uh, reach out. Uh, I don't really <laughs> understand the concept of uh, what a week is or what a day is or what a moment is. I am just here eternally. Thanks, Ben. Hey, thank you. I like the idea that you're frozen in amber, and it's just us circling back to you every every Wednesday afternoon yeah. and just being like, okay, now it's time to go find Ben, who We're is stuck into the mountainside. Ben. Yeah, yeah. I don't look at it as frozen so much as floating, in this like in the in this like sort of uh, churning consciousness flux of the internal present, and that you can works. kind of, uh, you know, I'm still I'm still working on it. You know, these are, uh, you know, trying times, right? Yeah, that's the truth. We're all trying something new. I'm trying to I'm trying to live in the eternal present. Yeah, I hear that. All right, dude. All right, Ben. We'll, we'll catch you soon, whenever the soon is. Yeah, <laughs> it's all it's all relative, man. <laughs> Wait, all right, man. cool. Well, uh, yeah, talk to you soon. See ya. See ya. Bye. Bye. Does this work? Boom. Boom. Okay. All right, Andrew is uh, ready to go. He cool. sent me a text. Uh, let him this yeah so Josh told me to um, kind of steer this conversation more directly toward Andrew's story rather than talking about it as a series because I guess we kind of they planned it as a series but now Josh is thinking they might just do a couple more of them and not have it be a full series uh, oh I didn't I wasn't even thinking about that so yeah, yeah that's okay, good to cool. Know. cool when you said Andrew's story I was like does he have a personal connection with Buzz Arley? What do you mean, Inch? <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Uh, okay. Hello? Hey, Andrew. How are you? Hey, good. How are you? Good, good. Um, yeah, so you're all set to, to go around. Our uh, MILB.com writer spotlight this week lands on Andrew Batafrano, our good buddy who joins the show. What's going on, man? How are you? Great. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for being back. So uh, Andrew's got a great story that is up on the site uh, right now. Uh, one of our Monsters of the Miners in which Andrew discusses uh, a guy who I would imagine the vast majority of all of us had never heard of, and that is Buzz Arlett, uh, who played 121 Major League games, all of them in one season uh, back in 1931, but in his minor league career hit like 9 billion homers and was also – two-way player he hit 432 homers in his minor league career and also won 108 games on the mound uh that home run record stood until 2015 when mike hessman broke it uh but what a, a fascinating story this guy is and i don't think any of i i had never heard of buzz arlett before outside of the the home run record i never knew his his full scope of his career yeah uh same here i really didn't know a ton about him going into it other than 
oh, Mike Hessman beat that guy right. that played, you know, almost almost a century ago. Uh, and yet, going through our feature sheet where we have a lot of ideas, we have this Monsters of Mine series. So I reached out to Josh Jackson, our feature editor, and he gave me a couple of names to look into. Eventually, we kind of settled on our let and doing some digging. Uh, you know, Saber's bio had a lot of great stuff. Luckily, I still had some access to my BU account where I went to school, and they had historical newspapers and, you know, able to kind of dig through those and see his days with the Oaks and eventually his one season with the Phillies, which was actually very good by all accounts. He had an injury that kind of, you know, derailed some of the season, but by all accounts, he had a great year. And then, you know, he goes into that year with Baltimore the next year after leaving the Phillies and probably has his best year as a, you know, professional baseball player. Just what a weird kind of winding career that he had that I don't think a lot of people knew. Like, we, you know, cover the minors every day, and even we probably didn't know a ton about him before this. Yeah, and, and you bring up that 1931 season. You, you write a little bit about it and quote the L.A. Times and the Associated uh, Press in this story, and it seems like it was defense that caused him to be sent down. But what else did you find about, you know, somebody who hits 400-plus homers in the minors should be getting multiple chances. Why didn't it work out except yeah. for that 1931 season? Yeah, so from a lot of what I read, uh, you know, for the Sabre bio, a couple other sources, you know, through those newspapers, obviously the way the miners worked then were a little different, and the Oaks basically had say in kind of the opportunities he could get major league-wise, and there were a lot of times where teams were looking into him and wanted to sign him, but the asking price that they, uh, you know, had for him was a little bit too high, and I think that kind of made teams a little bit shy from signing him. And then there was a time earlier before 1931 where it looked like the Dodgers were going to bring him in. And unfortunately he got into a scuffle with an umpire and the umpire legitimately whacked him on the face with uh, his mask and basically cut his season short. And the Dodgers did not sign him after that. So that was just another kind of unfortunate incident. But then the next year he did end up with the Phillies, but yeah, I think a lot of it had to do with just the Oaks didn't want teams to sign him if they weren't going to pay enough. And unfortunately, before you know, affiliated ball was you know kind of the modern system, that was kind of the way it worked. They were independent and they could do what they wanted. What's really interesting too, Andrew, is that in that one major league season, it's pretty damn good—121 games, uh, and obviously statistical records from back then on the major league side in 1931 probably are pretty accurate. Minor league side, um, not completely inaccurate, but there are things that you know are not part of. For example, we don't have the amount of plate appearances that he had in a season, or strikeouts and walks and that kind of stuff. Uh, but for his major league numbers in 121 games in 1931 for Philadelphia, he batted 313. 387 on base percentage, 538 slugging percentage. He walked 45 times to 39 strikeouts, uh, and he had a war mm-hmm. of, I think, almost two and a half. And uh, evidently, defense was kind of the question. Uh, but why just that one season in the big leagues? He was sent to the International League, the Baltimore Orioles, who were then uh, effectively a Triple A team back then uh, after that season was over. Yeah, I think I was reading something that the Phillies wanted to get more speed in their outfield, and he was not particularly the fastest guy in the world, and his defense obviously was the shakiest part of his game. 
And so that was kind of the end of the, the run for him. You know, he didn't get to play that full year because of the injury. And who knows, maybe if he didn't have that injury and say hit 30 home runs, maybe they would be like, hey, uh, you know, this guy has a lot more potential. We could kind of stick with him. But they had Chuck Klein, who was one of the, you know, higher, I think he was one of the few guys that actually had a higher slugging percentage than Buzz Arlette that year. And so they're like, all right, we can make our outfield defense better. We don't need this guy. And that was kind of that. It's just kind of an unfortunate part of the game. And I guess, you know, we look at it under, you know, a modern purview where, you know, all three true outcomes. And this guy was, you know, kind of the the prototype for it, except, you know, like you said, didn't strike out a whole lot, got a lot of walks and hit a lot of home runs. Uh, You know, we look at it from today and see this guy being a very valuable player. And back then, game was just kind of a little bit different where they really did build around, you know, defense and speed and, I guess just because that just didn't kind of have that, you know, fit for the team. And one of my favorite facts about this whole story beyond, you know, winning a hundred plus games and um, hitting 400 plus homers in the Meyer leagues is the fact that he ended up in both the Pacific coast and the international league halls of fame. Uh, Do you think that's, something that could happen now it feels like it, it's almost unattainable just because by the time guys reach triple a you're you're getting to the majors or you know if, if it doesn't work out you're looking at other leagues you're looking at south korea or japan or even the mexican league uh it, if you're gonna you know play five plus seasons at triple a and not crack through the majors do you think a career like this is possible outside of mike hessman who you know might be part of a dying breed himself yeah I think that is almost impossible. I don't want to say it can't happen, but like you said, just for someone to play that long and have the success on both sides of it, they they just, I mean, at some point, they probably would get a call up to the majors, you would think, right? Uh, it'd be a little bit hard to see them playing both sides, having success in both leagues, not getting some sort of opportunity or you know, deciding like, hey, if I'm not getting those opportunities, I'll play elsewhere like you said, overseas or independent ball. It's just, this is one of those just kind of unique facts about him that I just don't think I can see or envision anyone doing for, you know, a very long time or maybe ever again. It's just that he has that kind of with him just speaks to how good of a player he was for such a long time because, you know, like he comes in as a pitcher, gets injured, and then he's like, hey, can I start hitting, you know, full time? And it has to hit, hit switch hitting because he hurts his right arm. He's you know, a dominant right-hander. Mostly it's lefty for that reason. And he ends up being, you know, one of the greatest power hitters in minor league history. It's just really fascinating that he was able to do it on both coasts and got, uh, you, know, you know, so many people got to see him play back then. Andrew Batavarano is on Twitter at Andrew at Bat with two T's. This story is up on the site right now. You can read all about buzz. Uh, we need more buzzes in the game of baseball. We haven't had a good buzz in a while. I don't even know the last buzz I, I totally guy. agree. <laughs> do, you, do you know why he was nicknamed Buzz? Yes. Yes, Andrew. I do, ah! actually. Uh, so it started when he was a pitcher, and – from what I was reading, it basically was, you know, he was so good. He was cutting through lineups like a buzzsaw and, you know, short to buzz. Interesting. I think that sounds, it kind of, kind of sounds better than Russell Arlen, I think. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. I would agree with that. 
uh, buzz is, you know, I guess the last, I feel like the last famous buzz, not counting Aldrin, the last famous, like, new buzz was Kevin's brother in Home Alone, and that was 26 years ago. Are, are you just going to overlook Buzz Lightyear? Uh, but he's not. <laughs> wow. He's, he's not a, he's, wow, he's a, he's a toy. He's a toy, Sam. Well, that's why I think there haven't been more buzzes, to be honest with you. Couldn't put Buzz Lightyear into a lineup. He couldn't play. He's he's like uh, 10 inches tall. Couldn't hit. He's already got the helmet, though. (laughs) So there is that. Well, he could be be in a a starting lineup, you know, action figure set. That's true. That's true. That could work. That could work. Uh, Actually, uh, they did let Buzz Lightyear pitch once, but he gave up a home run without giving uh, recording an out. So now his ERA is infinity and beyond. As oh, soon God. as you started, I was like, oh, here comes a Sam joke. I, I, yeah, I saw that coming. <laughs> Without an inning pitched, it was really a light year for him. Oh, God. Oh, Sam, Sam is the uh, he, he's the, the MILB.com all-time leader in groans. <laughs> <laughs> Just, oh, Sam. What is what is what is your war in groans? I would love a uh, baseball reference to to track that for us. If somebody wants to do it, I, I uh, groans above average. My go, my uh, my gar as it were. Groans yeah. above uh, replacement writer. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I think I think just for that, your jaws is incredibly high. You have a good Hall of Fame chance. <laughs> Ah, oh, Andrew's story is up on the site now. Thanks, man. Yeah, no problem. Wrapping up this week's episode of the show before the show. So again, coming up on uh, Monday, Sam and I will be recording our uh, our simulated dream matchup. And on Tuesday, it'll be out there for you all to watch. And uh, we're pumped about that. Um, some other news this week uh, from minor league baseball, and we're going to kind of address this the way we've uh, only been able to slightly address things uh, in the past around this similar topic. But obviously reports this week uh, that there had been agreements reached on possible contraction of teams and such. Minor league baseball put out a statement uh, on Tuesday, quote, recent articles on the negotiations between MILB and major league baseball are largely inaccurate. There have been no agreements on contraction or any other issues. MILB looks forward to continuing the good faith negotiations with MLB tomorrow, as in today, the 27th. 2nd of April when we're recording this uh, as we work toward an agreement that best ensures the future of professional baseball throughout the United States and Canada. Yeah, so uh, like Tyler said, we're going to continue to say what we've been saying all along is that PBA negotiations are ongoing. It sounds like this, the sides were officially sitting down uh, this week, today as we're speaking, uh, to discuss what the next PBA will look like. Uh, baseball American and Associated Press had, had put out some reports about um, potential contraction. Minor League Baseball pushed against that. Uh, we'll be able to talk about whatever the next PBA looks like when an agreement is finally reached. Um, right now, it, it's rumors, and and um, you know, obviously, we're not doubting some of the reporting that's out there, even if Minor League Baseball has put some cold water on it. Um, but and when things are official and we know what the professional baseball agreement will look like when that's set in stone. We'll bring it to you guys as quickly as we can and have a really in-depth conversation about what minor league baseball will look like after that PBA. Right now, negotiations are negotiations. Things get get thrown out. 
there there are uh, you know responses and uh, potential proposals and counter proposals and back and forth and back and forth. Um, hopefully something gets settled, um, something that's great for both sides and and great for minor league baseball and keeping minor league baseball or baseball in some form in as many communities as we can have. Um, that's one of the great things about minor league baseball. But when that officially gets solidified, we'll be able to talk about it more in depth. Uh, so keep it peeled here and uh, you know we'll see what, what comes of, of these PBA negotiations here in the future. And uh, that'll do it for this week's episode. He's Sam. I'm Tyler. Thanks to uh, to Ben and to Andrew. And uh, we're excited for this game on Tuesday and our uh, our follow up press conference and breakdown on Wednesday to talk about my win. Uh, that's it. I'll talk to you next week. Oh, 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 o